Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by Dr. Michelle Borba, internationally renowned educator, award-winning author, and parenting child expert to talk about how we as parents can prioritize our kids' mental health as they return to school this fall. Welcome, Dr. Borba. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, Erin, thank you. It's always a joy talking to you. Same. I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, I need some encouragement to like, oh. <laughs> get ready to send my kids back to school for sure. You are not alone. And tip number one is know that every parent is struggling right now. We're all worried about our kids on multiple levels. We got to take a moment and breathe and know that others are feeling the same way. That's perfect advice to kick us off. I know that you're already familiar to many of our listeners, but just in case, I want to start today by telling our listeners a bit more about you and your background. Dr. Borba is recognized for her solution-based strategies to strengthen children's character and resilience and reduce peer cruelty. A sought-after motivational speaker, Dr. Borba has spoken in 19 countries and five continents and served as a consultant to hundreds of schools and corporations. She was recently awarded the Lifetime Achievement in Character Education Award by Character.org. The author of 24 books, her newest book is Thrivers, Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. For our listeners who've been part of Metro Family's National Parenting Summit, The Modern Art of Parenting, you've had the opportunity to hear Dr. Borba's incredible expertise on parenting and our children's mental health needs. And I can say from experience that Dr. Borba's books and presentations, including Thrivers, which I'm reading back through in preparation to send my kids to school this fall, uh, have made a tremendous positive difference in my own parenting journey. So for our listeners, if you'd like to be able to access more of Dr. Borba's presentations, you can learn more about the benefits of membership in the modern art of parenting, including ongoing monthly webinars with national parenting experts by visiting modernartofparenting.com. On to today's conversation. Dr. Borba, you have spent these summer months traveling, talking with, and listening to students and educators around the country. What are the biggest concerns you have heard from them surrounding our kids' mental health that parents need to be aware of this school year? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because I think the first thing is if you ask a kid what's going on, they almost never will let you down. They'll tell you exactly what the problem is. Now, the first thing is to keep in mind is that I've been doing this uh, with all different demographics, all zip codes, just came back from Texas. I'm on my way to Atlanta and next week is Los Angeles. So it's everywhere the same issue. When I talk to the principals, the teachers, what are they most concerned about? They've had a little bit of concern because here's what the trends were prior to kids leaving school. And that's only gonna be amplified when they come in. They're a little bit nervous about starting all over again. So number one is they were seeing loneliness. They were seeing that many kids were a little more socially anxious because in numbers of reasons, for some kids, it may be they were social distance a while. Other ones, they may have transferred to a different school. Other ones, they said, that we're just not practicing our social skills nearly enough because I think it's because we're anxious. So we don't know how to relate to others. That's a wonderful tip 
in terms of takeaways for us as parents, because it means that we can help them right now transfer back into that school by just deliberately practicing social skills with our kids. We'll go a little bit more into that later, but that's the first thing. The second thing is anxiety. We know that the CDC warned us that prior to the pandemic, it was one in five kids was gonna suffer from a social anxiety or mental health problem. It's now one in three. In fact, 77,000 American pediatricians are also concerned. They just signed a waiver saying they've never seen anything like it. If you were concerned as a parent about kids' mental health, be concerned and put it first and foremost because nothing else matters most. Of course, we're worried about academic achievement, but I think there's a piece that we also need to keep in mind is that you can't really focus and get that academic achievement going unless your body can regulate and stay focused itself. And when stress is building, which all of our kids and we're seeing our mental health disorders are saying the same thing, uh, hospitals are saying it, it means we need to help, help them regulate so they can focus. Um, one other thing that we're seeing is behavior. If you're noticing that your kids are a little more irritable at home, a little more disrespectful, the schools would say, yep, and they were doing that in school, in the classroom as well. So maybe it's time to uh, not feel for them in terms of making an excuse, but say, no, 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 that's not how the way that we talk in this home. Because if they're talking to you like that at home, chances are it's also helped going on in that classroom and school as well. So those are the big top issues that we're seeing. All of them have solutions. The key is that it's probably not going to be all of those in your own home. Your first step as the parent is to just say to yourself, what am I seeing that's concerning? What's the one little thing I'm going to take on? Maybe it's the behavior or maybe it's practicing those social skills. What's going to help my kid be their best when they finally walk through those school doors again? If you practice those now, you'll help your child be able to actually reduce the stress and be what's called more resilient because they're going to be able to feel better about who they are when they walk back to school. I feel not so alone in my concerns about going back to school. So thank you for that affirmation. Yeah. Um, and because we could all use a little bit of good news, what have you heard over these summer months that is encouraging or inspiring you? And how can parents lean into some of the good that is happening or could be happening regarding our kids' mental health? You know, I think what we overlook is that kids are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human beings. And I think the best thing that I've seen anywhere is, uh, and actually it was a, a superintendent out in Long Island. And I, at the kids urging, these were teens, what the teens said, we're so stressed and we're so ticked and tired of only hearing the bad stuff in the world. Can't you put good news up there? So they conned her into, and she did it, buying a huge plasma TV, put it in the front entrance of the school. And what this wonderful superintendent then did was go through Google alerts and find good news, stories about children in the United States of America who were doing simple, wonderful things to help out each other. She then put those each day, a simple little, we're talking about a 30 second clip, Kids would then walk in and I actually saw them looking stressed outside the door. The door would open, they'd walk in, look at each other, go, we got this, put their arms around each other. It was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they turned to me and said, that's what we need. We need to see the good stuff that kids are doing with each other. It actually activates their own little altruism, their own little empathy. And more and more kids say, I can do that too. 
And that's, I think, what we're overlooking is the kind-heartedness that's happening. And let's just point that out because it's kind of being dormant right now. Children and we need to see the good stuff. Definitely. That puts me in mind in your book of encouraging oh. parents to point out kids' strengths and their positive character traits. Um, so that makes me think that I need to do a little bit more of that maybe as my kids are getting ready to head back to school to remind them. Oh, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Let's just take a segue on that because it's so critical. So many of the kids did tell me that one of the things that they were feeling uh, universally, if there was a term, was empty. We feel like we're running on empty. And I went, well, why? And I think one of it is they said, hey, the teens were telling me, you know, we're really pressured. We're really worried about, are we going to get the scholarship? Are we going to get into college? What's going to happen? We don't know. We, we worry that we're not good enough. We worry that we're not going to get the grades. And one of the things that all resilience work tells us that we may be missing is that uh, if we point out and identify our children's assets, not the ones we want them to be, but who they legitimately are, could be art, it could be a sense of humor, it could be, gee, you just really are a good friend, or you're, you're a, you have a wonderful memory. I don't care what the asset is. Start pointing it out 77% of the time. I know we're not talking about you, Aaron. we're talking about the neighbors next door. Point out the kid's deficit and not their asset or what they're legitimately good at. So maybe the, the wonderful thing right now and the rest of your lives is start looking for what are the legitimate strengths of the child, because they actually use those to not only boost their confidence, but they use those when push comes to shove and adversity sets in. They go, I got this because this is who I really am. They desperately need to, to see and know that you approve of them. Many kids said, please tell my parents to tell me I'm more than just a grade. Point out the stuff of who I really am. And I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful reminder to us all. And I love that in your book, you really go in detail and give great actionable oh. tips. Because like you said, as parents, we maybe have attributes in mind that we think represent our kids or that we want in our kids. And you really help parents drill down and, and notice what our kids already have, like you said. And it really kind of caught me off guard. And I had to really rethink for each of my kids, what are their true assets that I can help them lean into? And um, the other thing you just said that I think is so important is that kids want parents to recognize that they're more than their grades, they're more than their specific accomplishments. And that's really your focus on building these seven key character traits in our kids, like empathy, which can help with those behavior issues that we're seeing and those social skills if we really work with our kids on learning to be empathetic. So tell us more about this theory of building these seven key character traits and how they help improve our kids' mental health. Oh, thank you for the question. I think the, the most interesting thing about all of this is resilience, that ability to bounce back in a struggling time when a challenge hits you is teachable. It is not locked into our children's DNA. And if there's anything we've learned about two years of uncertainty in a pandemic and the rise of mental health problems is that maybe we've been pushing too much the test score and the GPA and forgetting that these other strengths that we'll talk about in just a minute 
are all ones that are even more important because they blend in and help your child not only be a peak performer in a classroom, but a peak performer in life. So they'll be able to handle life better. The, the, the second thing is relax, parent. You don't need all seven. It's a rare grown up and it's a rare kid that has all seven. But if you looked at the most important ones that seem to really matter right now when that child's going back to school, it starts with confidence and knowing what your assets are, not your deficits. But here's the things I know about you, sweetie pie, who I love about who you are. Those are critical. Get an index card. You notice that you said, I love my kids. We all have different kids and each one of them is different as night and day. If you got more than one, it's Russian roulette on what you get on their assets. So you identify each child's individual assets. That's going to help the child also, because maybe along the way you can help them by learning, wow, you're really visual. You remember what you see. How's that going to help later on when they sit down and do the homework? Look at it, draw a picture of it. That's going to help you remember the details or you're really auditory. When I say something to you, you can remember and you can repeat it right back. That's going to help you later on in school. Listen carefully, maybe write down the words afterwards, but listen because that's going to help you or you're bodily kinesthetic. You're a writer. You really learn best. I'll tell you, this is me. Why I write books is because I write the details out and then I go, oh, that's why it makes sense. So maybe that's one point. The second one that we do know that you've mentioned is empathy. We are clearly aware that one of the biggest reasons why our children's mental health is plummeting is that they have locked connections. They need connections. They need play dates. They need unstructured time. They need to learn to exercise their, their social skills. And the simplest ones are saying, hi, how are you? Start waving, model that. Showing kids skills is far better than lecturing and telling them. Or maybe how to make an introduction. You've got a lot of kids going into a new school or into a new classroom. Hi, my name is what's yours? Don't just lecture it, show it. So your child actually sees you making an acquaintance with somebody else or encouraging. They've discovered all that stuff of high fives, good job, way, I love you doing that. Actually, kids are more popular who do those encouraging kinds of comments. So when you're watching a baseball game with your kids, look at, wow, look at that team. You notice how they support each other? Wow, did you notice the smiles on all the players? Yeah, that guy just got the home run, but look at the rest of the team on how they're supporting you. When they see that, they're more likely to adopt it. So number three is self-regulation or self-control. That's helping kids be able to put the brakes on the impulses. We're all stressed. Stress is part of life, but we've got to help our kids learn to be comfortable with stress. And then we also have to learn to help our kids learn when it's too much how to put the brakes on and tune it down a little bit. You can start out with in your own home, maybe one simple thing is figure out what helps your child reduce the stress. He may not know. So I've, a lot of teens told me that their parents just kind of gave them other ideas. Like one girl, I love Natalie. She said, I finally figured out it was music. I said, how did you know it was music? She said, it isn't just music, it's Mozart. I immediately get into a zone and I just kind of cool down. I said, okay, how'd you figure out it was Mozart? Oh, it was my mother. She just started playing different kinds of songs over the speaker system in our house. And pretty soon I realized, hey, that Mozart stuff is really helping me. And so I put it onto my own iPad. The key is, is that help your child find stress reducers. For some kids, it's books. For some children, it could be, chants or singing 
or deep breathing or meditation, or it could be Mozart of what Natalie is. But unless we help each child figure out what works for them, we're going to find that we're that mental health is just going to keep on rising. And we're going to have kids that are so stressed because they don't have the agency to know how to control it. Those are the first three. Integrity is number four. We, we know that curiosity is number five. Perseverance and hang in there is number six. Optimism and hope is number seven. But I put a little more emphasis on the first three because those first three are kind of like the core ones and the rest build from them. And it is so, it's so helpful. I love what you mentioned about as parents, we have to learn how to model those uh, if we want our kids to learn them. So that's been a really helpful piece of it for me too, because I get such actionable advice on what I could be doing to show my kids what these character traits look like. Um, and it's kind of a relief as a parent to know these are not things that we necessarily know how to do. That oh, okay exactly. To learn it, and then we can teach our kids. And Aaron, here's the cool thing. This is like you just quoted the American Psychological Association. They did a study of thousands of pieces of parenting data on what ideas, which strategies are the ones that we parents should use to maximize our kids' health and happiness. They looked at dozens and dozens, and they found the top two have nothing to do with what you teach to the kids; it's what you do for yourself. The first one is that you love and you like your kids. There's that balance of that warmth and love and structure and all that stuff we already know. But the second is critical. It's a parent who re just keeps their own stress at control. So what happens is their stress doesn't mirror over to the child. And the bottom line that's wonderful is if you look to chapter three in, in Thrivers, you're going to find dozens of ways to teach kids stress management. But what the APA would say, that's the American Psychological Association, find one first that works for you. Start modeling just like you just said. Watch your kids watch you. And what will happen is if you keep practicing, not only will it help you, your kids will catch it for themselves. Maybe you can make it into a every night at five o'clock, our whole family does one, two breathing. We take a slow, deep breath like we're smelling a flower, we hold it. Now we slowly blow it out like we're blowing out a birthday candle. That was one time that breath that exhale has to be twice as long as the inhale. What we're actually discovering is that if you keep doing it, that is the fastest way to relax, getting oxygen into your brain. And you're just doing it like a few minutes a day, pretty soon your kids will catch it up and everybody will be more relaxed in the family. The only dangerous part is that then your kids will be sure to tell you when you need to do the breathing exercise. Oh, exactly. And the most wonderful thing about it is they start turning in, tuning into our stress signs. My kids would always tell me, mom, you need to do that one, two stuff because your eyes are getting like that again. I didn't know what my eyes were getting like, but they knew mine. And now I go, okay, thank you very much. I'll tune into my eye thing. But it was also, then we made a fun thing of tuning into each other's. Because the gold mine is when a child can identify when they're starting to feel stressed, not when they're having the exorcism on the floor or they're so irritable, then it's too late. But if each person can figure out, oh, I start to go like this or I grind my teeth or I rock back and forth and you as a family can dignify and say, you're starting to do that thing because you're, you're starting to rock back and forth, not you're getting, you need time out, but pointing out you're starting to get stressed and then the child instantly knows what to do okay I'll take that one two breath 
But that takes a lot of time and trust as a family to build that up. It's not overnight, but that's the optimum goal. Absolutely. So we do want our kids to do well in school. How do we strike this balance between encouraging them to work hard without often unintentionally adding to their overwhelm? We key number one, expectations are absolutely crucial. You've got to set an expectation for your child, but it's got to be in line with your child. So if I was to give you what research says is the best way to stretch your kid without snapping them, you got to think of a rubber band. Your goal is to watch your child and, and it'll take you a while. Then when school starts, figure out how long can he really sit without blowing up? And maybe what he needs to do is sit for 10 minutes, then stand and go take a break, then sit down again. But once you figure out what works for your child, that's that rubber band. You stretch them without snapping. Then you start putting the pieces in place. For instance, now is the time to start looking at, here comes the old special ed teacher 101, what helps your child work his best? And I've discovered with some kids, they need a cardboard carol in front of them because they're so easily distractible. So you can create that space at home. That's where you do your homework. For some children, we know that they need quiet. So for heaven's sakes, turn off the TV, even if it's three doors down and three rooms down because they pick that up. For some children, we always say quiet, quiet, quiet. But for some kids, actually earphones, listening to music could help. You, what you've got to do is figure out what helps your child, then make that into a routine. Another thing is when's the best time to do the homework? Not maybe for some kids, it's immediately after school. For some kids, give them a break and let them go shoot five rounds of basketball, then come in, have a snack. How was your day? Now sit it down. But it's figuring out what works for your child. You, you may want to, you know, a couple of weeks into school, if you see your child is struggling, immediately contact the teacher. What seems to be what helps my child in school? What are the routines and rituals that you're using that I should be using? That is aligning with that teacher and can be a core one. And if you figure out what works for your kid, you're under professional obligation to tell the teacher, this is what seems to help my child. It took me 10 years, but I finally came up with it. Such great advice. So as our kids are transitioning back to school, we know it can be a really hard time period for everyone in the household. Sure it can. Whether we've got preschoolers or teens, how do we make this transition period easier on our kids and on us as parents? And what signs should we be looking for that would indicate our kids are struggling with their mental health? Okay. Number one, do not wait until the day before school to start your routines. That's our biggest mistake. Oh gosh, school's tomorrow. Let's all start over in what we're doing here. Instead, what you do is you start rewinding, playing back and figure out number one is sleep. Your kids and you are on a different time zone right now. It's been summer. You're letting them sleep in longer. And all of a sudden that alarm's going to go off and it's going to be uh, the, the witching hour of trying to get your kid ready in early morning. What you need to do at least two, if not three weeks before school starts, is start winding the clock back to him or her being on the, the same time zone as the alarm that goes off first thing in the morning. That would be key. Number two, what was the reoccurring nightmares last year? 
I don't know what to wear, mom. And then there was the battle in the morning. So you start the routine, not waiting for that morning. It's always the new ritual is you must lay your clothes out the night before. I can't find my backpack, mom, and I got to get down. The bus is coming. Night before, if that's the ritual, that's always a nightmare, then right now, put up a hook. Where's the spot that every kid in your house is going to hang their backpack on? And that's what they're going to hang before they go to bed. Uh, I need my, my cell phone. I would say the first thing that every bit of research says is take it away. <laughs> Do not let your kids sleep with that cell phone. First thing is what we do know is they're texting. If you want proof of it, go online and look at what every bit of research will say on kids who are get older and cell phones. They, you think they're asleep, they're texting, they're losing sleep. If you want that child to excel in the classroom, good night's sleep is one of the highest correlations. Put it in a box, you don't need it. But I have to know when to get up, mom. Then do something really profound as my final tip, buy a real life alarm clock and teach your kid how to set it. <laughs> best alarm clock I've ever seen. I did a Today Show segment on this and it blew everybody away. It's called Clocky. The kid sets the alarm clock by his bed and that'll take you three weeks to teach him how to set his own alarm clock so you don't have to play Big Ben. What you then do is set the alarm clock on. It'll go off. And when the kid does not turn the alarm clock off, the alarm clock gets mad. It starts dancing and actually falls off the nightstand and starts going around the floor until the kid has to get out of bed. So, I mean, that's an absolute priceless thing. You don't have to get that fancy. But there's a few things. It's, you know, the, figure out, I think, the most important thing was what was your reoccurring nightmares? How are you going to solve it? So your child goes a little more peacefully and you off to school in the morning. It could be also if your child needs to, I don't know where my notes are, then do you have a note basket that's right by the front door that every day when I come home from school, if there's a note that needs to be signed by the teacher, I have to go through my backpack and put it there. Something that you need to see. Or if there's snacks that are, the kid forgets the snacks, you just always keep a granola bar in the bottom of the backpack. Be crafty figure it out, mom, you've got this. It's, but being a planner ahead of time will cause you to be far more relaxed that morning. Such good advice. What about kids that are going to a new school this year? What key pieces of advice do we need to keep in mind for those kids? Number one is anxiety will go up particularly during the COVID era when all children's anxiety is up anywhere. And why are they concerned? you got to figure out that many kids, when they go to a new school, their prime concern is, number one, I think I'm going to get lost. How do I know where the classroom is? So here's a couple of things you can do. Number one is, once you know the child's new school, could you walk him to the school not the first day, but a couple of days before? If there's a map, go to the school a website. If there's a map of the school, print it out. There usually is. Then when you know where the child's, maybe there's a lockdown and the kid can't get through the locked gates, but at least you can show him, here's the map. Let's put a yellow highlighter on it. Maybe there's one child in the neighborhood. Get crafty and start mingling. But if there's one kid, he doesn't have to be your child's best friend for life. This is just called an acquaintance. He's somewhere near the child in the same class. He can walk him to school the first couple of days. He also wants to know, she wants to know, where's the cafeteria? 
How do I find the secretary? And where's the bathroom? Those are the core issues. If the child can't remember, how do I know what my bus number is, mom? I think I'm going to forget it. And anxiety goes up. I One mom did something brilliant. She got a black marking pen. She says, you don't worry about it, sweetie pie. She had him take the sneakers he was going to wear every day. And they actually took the tongue of the black marking pen, put the tongue over and put the bus number there. So what happened is the child's now feeling a lot safer. That's what you're wanting to do is get into the shoes of your child. What's he most concerned about? Usually those are the top ones. He may not be able to tell you, but if you started to look at and listen a little closer, you can tune in. It also helps your child if he goes through the website and sees what are the other kids dressed like? What kind of backpack do they wear? I'm not telling you to change your entire kid's dress attire and wardrobe, but maybe one thing that looks like he's going to fit in with what the rest of the kids are looking like will just do wonders for that child's self-esteem. You just brought back a great memory for me. I have to give props to my husband, dad of the year. When my daughter was going to a brand new school, there were no, we couldn't find a map of the school. And so he drew one. (laughs) Oh, see, I mean, it was very, you know, like, here's the, here's the line for the front door and just drew her some arrows. So she knew which way to go down the hall to get that is oh my gosh that's absolutely brilliant because that's what a child needs they need to feel you can't learn without feeling safe and right now if you're am i going to get lost how am i going to find it what's the teacher's name all of those can be stuck inside a backpack with a post-it note also keep a set of post-it notes there so that your child if you meet somebody new write down what their name is or what's their phone number? If you like them, you can connect with that kid later. Those are wonderful. You have a child who's really anxious. What you may want to do, what we've discovered, and many of the teachers, particularly for elementary and lower elementary uh, preschool children, many of the directors were saying we're seeing separation anxiety mounting, even though it's just before school is out and separation anxiety is really there. So practice saying goodbye. Practice saying goodbye. Have your child have a watch. I mean, a cheap one, but mark the watch. The most important thing is with a little hot dot, here's when mommy is going to pick you up or here's when the bus is going to be to pick you up. And here's how to say goodbye to your child. Uh, They need the practice, particularly shyer, more introverted children. If you drop him off or a younger child at the door, don't linger too long because he's going to wait for you to rescue him. Instead, stand there and know that shyer children need warm-up time. So don't push him. Let him warm up and observe. Next thing is point out one thing that you think could attract the child. Oh, that little boy over there is playing puzzles just like you love. Why don't you walk that way? Or that little guy is playing with the blocks like you like. Walk that way. Don't push him into a big scene, but push him in a one-on-one are some of the tips that you can use with Shire Shire introverted kids. Oh, that's so helpful. I needed you about five years ago. (laughs) But so many of these tips, we can use them no matter what age our child is, just adapt it for who they are. Oh, absolutely. Sense for them. Yeah. So as the school year goes along, how can we encourage our kids to open up about their feelings or struggles? And what do we ask them beyond how was your day today? Oh, the best focus group of kids that I had were middle school children. And the parents had asked me that almost that same question. 
And almost every kid said, don't ask, how was your day? I said, why? She said, because you're going to ask the same darn thing every day. After a while, it sounds trite like you really don't care. So first of all, know that many kids say the most stressful part of the day is the first two minutes when they walk home. They've been carrying it all together, trying to keep it so oh, I'm, I'm going to be okay. They walk in the door and they just need to just let it out for a while. I mean, just take some breaths. The last thing they want is, you know, the confrontation of how was it? What did you do? And what was your grade? Instead, the milk and the cookies can be a great idea. Uh, one parent said that every day the kid walked in, he was a basket case. What she finally did was put in two bean bags. She put two bean bags in. And then what she did is have soothing music. What the child would do was walk in and she'd say, let's sit here. And she didn't ask anything. She just put music on that she knew would resonate with the child. You got to figure out what works for your child. With some kids, it may be reading a book for a younger child. But she said it was so helpful because you could see that he was starting to breathe and it was became our routine every day. And then she said the most amazing thing happened. One day I didn't hear him come in. And it was the one day I wasn't sitting on the beanbag chair waiting for him. I walked in thinking that he was, where was he? He was sitting on the beanbag chair all by himself and turned the music on and, she, and he said, mom, this really works. So find the routine and the ritual. Um, I would say, let the kid debrief for a little bit, but it's first just having the milk and the cookies. And then it could be some sneaky things. You can go online and you can find out what are activities that happen during the day. Wow, how was the basketball tournament? And the kid's going to look at you like, how the heck did you know? How was that? It's fun stuff that's overall fun, not with how was the grade. You can get to that later, but you're really looking at just what was the best part of it? Okay. Hey, what was the lunch today? Did you like the ham, the turkey, or the what they realize now is that yes, no answered questions don't work. It's opening and stretching them, but it's going to take a while for you and your child to get into that routine, find out the time that's best to ask the questions. I, it's taken me a long time to learn that. And I have wow. finally discovered that, imagine this, my kids are so different. Yeah. So one wants to get <laughs> straight in the car and tell me everything that happened yeah. that day and hash through all of it. And another one really doesn't want to talk to me about school until bedtime, um, which has been a little bit hard for my mama heart to learn, but I've had to because that's just his personality. So it's, it's been a struggle, but I, I think I finally have a little bit of a handle on when they're willing to talk and what they're willing to talk about. And I just try to lean into I love that. I love that because that's exactly what kids said. You got to find what's the best time for us. And, you know, it's hard for us. Oh my gosh, do I have to wait five more hours till it's bedtime? But find when the time is. Um, with my kids, I have three boys. I found that it was five o'clock around the refrigerator. And that's when I'd plant myself. They were going for a snack. And I, I was there kind of natural pretending I was baking, but it opened it up because I was doing something and not looking at them face to face and it became more relaxed. And that seems to be really helpful. That sitting that, that confrontational, so how was your day in the backseat or turning around doesn't work. But what, what kids say does work is more relaxing. By the way, with boys, 
interesting and I'm sure it works with some girls, but the research said, boys, it's doing things with them. It's shooting baskets. And how was your day? It's playing Legos. Hey, what happened during math today? What was the best part? How'd that go? So doing also gets them to relax as opposed to face-to-face, front-to-front, eye-to-eye. The other thing I'm hearing you say is just kind of making ourselves physically available. Yes. Yes. Sometimes it's less about our questions and more about just being available. And then if it's the right time for them, they start offering up some information, but it takes a lot of patience, which I'm not very good at. Yeah. That's the thing they don't tell you in the rain, the baby manual, Exactly, (laughs) but it's the truth. So for a more serious topic, yeah. I know you've done a lot of research and work surrounding school shootings, starting after Columbine. And in the wake of the horrific school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, we know students and parents alike may be really on edge as kids are going back to school. How do we talk to our kids about school or mass shootings or even the active shooter drills a lot of them experience during their school day in a way that's honest without exacerbating that fear they may already be feeling? First of all, we need to tune in to our kids because each one of them is responding to these issues far differently. So that's the key. Second of all, we do need to talk because in today's world, they're hearing it, they're seeing it, and they need to get information from us. If there is a shooting an active shooting situation that happened. For instance, it could be something that just happened on the news and you're aware of it. Then you need to talk and you use T-A-L-K as your acronyms. Just remember, you can use T-A-L-K. I'm going to teach you these four for any horrible, horrific kind of a tragedy. T is you tune into your child and you talk about it. You realize that some kids aren't going to want to have a this is not going to be a marathon. It's going to be a little teeny brief chat. You've got to be relaxed. Very often kids don't want to talk. So you first may want to find out what they've heard. What are your friends saying? What have you heard? Because you want to get on the same page with your child. One of the reasons why you talk about a tragedy is that very often what they've heard is far actually, if this is possible, but it's true, worse than what's happening. For instance, for a young child, they think it's happening right next door. They don't have a concept of proximity. 9-11, we realized that it was a horrible scenarios that was happening, but our children on the West Coast were getting PTSD as much as the kids on who actually were there. Why? Because they thought it would, they were there. They kept watching the planes over and over again on those newsreels and thought it was a reoccurring attack. So be cool, start with just hearing it. You may wanna also have a prime little three by five card of some points that you wanted to discuss or get some information. A is assess how your child is doing. For some children, it's gonna be a big deal, really truly. And, but it won't show up until a little later. For some kids, you can see the rigidness of it. This is going to be very helpful for you to figure out how is your child assessing this particular situation. If your child has already had stress, he's had a tragedy or a recent trauma, chances are he's going to be facing a more difficult time with this particular trauma. It just brings it up even more. So tune into a child who's already has an anxiety or a recent trauma. L is just watch and listen to where your child is coming from. 
it just keep listening to it and tell him, I'm going to talk, but let the child talk twice as much as you. And then what you're actually doing is saying, let's keep talking about this. Let's keep talking because I'm always here for you. The final thing that I think is K is called Kindle, Kindle Hope. And I don't think we're doing that nearly enough with a child. It could be after Parkland. I learned this from what was helping the kids who were at Parkland High School finally get through the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. They started a march. They took on gun control themselves and they said, we may not be stopping it, but we are so traumatized by it. The only way that we can do something is to actually march ourselves and take on so we can help our friends. Now, what else could you do? You're worried about your friend and let's get a tradition in our own family. Maybe it's let's pray together or let's plant a tree together or let's find something that'll kindle hope. With some children after Sandy Hook, what they did is they started pack uh, teddy bears and they sent them to the school and the community. And that really helped. It could be, let's make a big sign and let's put it outside. We've got so many children who are from Ukraine right now, or they have relatives from Ukraine. Mom, can we hang up the Ukrainian flag? Yes, we can, sweetie pie. And every night we'll, we'll do a candle. So it's creating traditions together as a family can be very helpful. Be calm yourself. You can say whatever you want. But if you're not calm, your children will realize my mom's really upset by this. There's got to be more something to it. I love the point that we just have to be talking to our kids and, but first listening to what they already know and how they feel about it. Yeah. And two, I love that point about kind of bringing it all back to empathy, talking about empathy, teaching them empathy and finding ways to practice that together. That's so important. As we close out today, Dr. Borba, what is the one thing, your top piece of advice you want parents to remember this school year to better prioritize our kids' mental health? Put mental health at the top. I think we're all worried. I've heard most parents say, but he's falling behind. And what am I going to do about his achievement? If we realize that achievement grows when you feel your body feels safe, when they can handle it, when you can regulate, when you can focus, you'll be able to focus better. Watch your child carefully. Tune into how he's doing. And maybe it's prioritizing of creating a calmer home, a calmer me, figuring out what the strategies are, like that one-two breathing. If you were reading Thrivers, go straight to chapter three. Skip everything else and start in on self-control. Because I think we now realize what our kids are saying. We're not as resilient as we thought we'd be. I said, what do you need? I said, we need to figure out how to regulate our stress. And if we don't learn how to regulate our stress and then practice it over and over again, we're never going to be able to handle the uncertainty of the world that we're now growing up in. I, that was like quote unquote from a 14 year old and a 15 year old. And I'm saying, God, they're right on the mark. They are quoting everything there is on adversity. You can help your child in terms of their learning but you got to prioritize helping them be able to handle the stress that is going to be part of their very uncertain world. And that's how we're going to raise up a generation of thrivers. I know for me, I am going to be focusing on these seven character traits this school year. That's my goal with my kids more than my focus on their academic skills. Um, so that is what I, I'm really hoping to do. And I'm hoping to also manage my own stress in a more effective way so that hopefully I can teach my kids as well. 
thank you as always for all of the wonderful advice. I know I feel calmer and more prepared <laughs> to send my kids back to school. Oh, thank you, Erin. Take care of yourself and everybody else. Take care of each other. Absolutely. For all of our listeners who are interested in hearing Dr. Borba's previous presentations through the modern art of parenting, as well as accessing past and future presentations by other nationally renowned parenting experts, you can visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about membership. Those memberships are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.